If you're committed to transitioning to a new role outside of the classroom, let me give you some advice. Don't try to navigate this journey all on your own. The Teacher Career Coach course will walk you step-by-step through the entire process. When you sign up, you'll get help picking your career path, have access to a library of transition resumes for teachers written by a professional, and even gain access to a list of hundreds of companies that hire teachers. Most importantly, you'll join our exclusive private community to collaborate with others and network. I've dedicated my time putting together templates and resources to create the most thorough program to help save you time. Learn more about the Teacher Career Coach course at teachercareercoach.com forward slash course. After leaving teaching because of some serious burnout, she vowed to build the community she wished existed when she needed it most. She went from classroom teacher to an educational consultant, instructional designer, and six-figure business owner. Now, she's here to help you achieve happiness and work-life balance, whether inside or outside the classroom. Come join our discussion as we talk about managing teacher burnout, career transitions outside the classroom, starting a side hustle, and everything in between. Here's your host of the Teacher Career Coach Podcast and your new personal cheerleader, Daphne Gomez. Welcome to the Teacher Career Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Daphne Gomez. In this episode, I interview Jess Lighthall. She's a high school and college English instructor who worked for over 13 years, who eventually transitioned into a job in corporate training and instructional design. Listen in as we talk all about corporate life and the differences from teaching and her daily life at her new corporate job. Hi, Jess. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Jess, I'd love to start a little bit with your experience working in the classroom. I know you were both a high school and college English instructor. So can you tell me a little bit about both of those positions and how you got into teaching to begin with? Sure. So I taught for about 13 and a half years. I taught high school English, really all levels from freshmen through seniors, different electives. I think, you know, growing up, I always just thought that I wanted to be a teacher. I enjoyed school. I enjoyed being a student. I really liked reading and writing and talking about books. And so I think that just kind of led me into pursuing English. I got my master's once I started teaching. And so I then began a few years into my teaching career, also teaching the dual credit college English courses. So they took place at our high school, but it was basically on behalf of the local community college and the students were, it was considered a college class and they earned college credit for taking those composition courses. So the last 10 years that I taught, I also taught composition one and two. And so that I think was a, an interesting, give me perspective of, you know, teaching kind of those higher level classes. And yeah, so like I said, I've been in teaching for about 13 and a half years. I actually was at the same district the entire time. So I, I student taught there and then there was an opening and I got the job and I stayed there until I left to move into the job that I have now. Do you mind sharing a little bit about why you decided to ultimately leave teaching? Sure. So I'm a very introverted person. And so I think it just got to the point where I just felt like, you know, you have to be on for eight hours a day and constantly like, sure, the students, like there are things that are student led and it's not always just you up there in front of the room teaching, but that was part of it. I just felt like it was 
getting to the point that it, I felt kind of burned out on the, you know, the profession. I also really wanted a job where I felt like I could have more upward movement. So I'm just not someone that personally is interested in going into educational administration. So I knew that I didn't want to do that next step. So I kind of felt like there wasn't, you know, I was already teaching college courses and higher level courses, and I just didn't feel like there was a whole lot of ways for me to move up and kind of challenge myself and just try something different. And so I really wanted to take, you know, the skills that I have and the things that I really enjoy doing, which is putting instructional materials together and and writing and those kinds of things, but just in a different way um, that maybe better worked with who I am as a person. Did you think about it for a long time, like over the entire trajectory of your career (laughs) as a teacher about ultimately what your exit plan was? I, I did think about it for several years. I would say probably starting back in like 2016, I really started looking for a way out of teaching and what that next step could be. I didn't really go about it in the right way. Like I was just sort of like scattershotting, randomly applying to places. And it really wasn't until I started the teacher career coach program that I kind of got organized and knew what I was doing in terms of tailoring my resume and upskilling and all of that. So off and on really for the last six or so years. And then I would say the fall of 2021, when I joined Teacher Career Coach. I got really serious about it. I decided I want to target instructional design. And that's when I was successful with getting a job outside of teaching. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that transition process. Mm -hmm. So you've talked a little bit about your strengths and what you liked in the teaching profession. Mm -hmm. Did you just immediately get pulled into instructional design or was there another path that you were looking at first before instructional design, or was that just always it for you? So I think um, I initially started looking at what could I do in maybe higher education, not so much teaching, but whether it be like a career counselor, a career advisor. I even did go to a couple of interviews for jobs like that. Honestly, you know, being totally transparent, the pay was less than I was making teaching. And I wasn't making much teaching. And so, you know, that's definitely something that I looked at is you know, I want to be able to afford my house and, you know, being able to pay bills and everything and still live, you know, be comfortable. And so I wanted something that compensated me what I felt like was more fairly for the years of experience and the education that I have and what I bring to the table. So I kind of moved away from those higher ed positions. I don't even remember how I heard about instructional design to begin with. I heard about it a few years ago. And when I looked into it, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, I think this is something I'd I'd be good at. And then I would also enjoy doing. And then it would Mm -hmm. dovetail well with my strengths, but also challenge me. And I would learn new things as well. And so um, that's kind of when I started looking into it. And back then, this was kind of pre-COVID. There just wasn't as many remote opportunities and not many places around me locally seem to have openings in instructional design. And then post-pandemic, I feel like there were a lot more remote opportunities being offered in that field. Yeah, absolutely. Did you always think of yourself as being tech-savvy? Because instructional design is kind of one of those more tech-savvy careers. Honestly, no. Um, I think, honestly, I, I think a big reason that I became 
a little bit more tech savvy was the pandemic. Because when we went to remote teaching, you know, I did use technology. Our students did have their, you know, the one-on-one, you know, they each had their own Chromebook before that. But just having to make everything (laughs) online, I ended up kind of going out and learning some of those new programs myself and then teaching my colleagues. Um, And so I feel like that's kind of what got me more interested in using technology and, and made me realize like, hey, I can learn new technology totally on my own if I needed to and still understand it well enough that I could teach somebody else how to use it. So I think that's one of the only benefits maybe, but a benefit that came out of the pandemic. Yeah, I think so many, especially, you know, those of us who identify as women downplay our tech savviness and assume that it's something a lot more complicated or a lot bigger than it really truly is. I do find myself a tech savvy person Mm -hmm. now because I've forced myself to learn all these tools, but I've talked to so many teachers who right off the bat tell me, oh, I can't do something like that. It's tech savvy and that's not me. And I'm like, okay, how did you feel when it came to like this tool, this tool and this tool during COVID? Right. And they're like, oh, those are super simple. And I was like, that's basically what you would be using for like this specific situation. Not necessarily instructional design, but like for the thing that they were discounting themselves on being able to do, Mm -hmm. which I just feel like is part of why it's so important to get your hands dirty and really start Mm -hmm. trying How long did it take you to start learning instructional design and start to get your hands dirty with the tools during the process of applying for the roles? The process for me actually went pretty quickly. Um, I think a lot quicker than will happen many times. Um, So I always kind of say that it's not indicative of what every job application process will be like. I was upskilling I mean, pretty much using all my spare time um, after school, well into the evening, all day on the weekends for about a solid two and a half months, I would say. And it was just, a, I think, the right job hosting at the right time. It's mostly remote. I, I work four days at home and only one day in the office, but it ended up being a local position that wanted someone with a background in education and preferred somebody who was local. And it just was exactly what I was looking for. And I applied and I was hired a couple weeks later. So I think it did go pretty quickly for me. Even after actually I was hired, I still kept on working on building my ID portfolio and and, and putting together some of my assets on that because I knew that going forward in the field, I would definitely want to have a portfolio. I still wanted to learn like articulate storyline and some of those tools. Um, so even after I was had the job offer, I still kept working on that for a couple of months after. talk a little bit about that new role. And especially because you said that it is one day in the office. Mm -hmm. So I've always said remote jobs are going to be the most competitive, Mm -hmm. especially if they're 100% remote, you're up against everyone else Mm -hmm. in that specific state or with it, if they're open to all states applying for those jobs. But when there's at least one day in the office or multiple days in the office, you're going to be more limited to people within a driving distance. Were you looking for something 100% remote when you found this position? So I was looking mainly at remote postings, knowing that 
the further out that we got from the height of the pandemic, that probably fewer and fewer of those would get posted. When I started the position, the company was still completely remote. And then they kind of had like a return to office thing. And I think it's really kind of dependent on each individual team as to what they want to do. Mm -hmm. And so right now we're hybrid with one day in the office. Most weeks, you know, there are some weeks if it's by a holiday or whatever that we don't go in that one day and still a lot of flexibility if if you've got somebody coming to the house to do work that day or you have an appointment or whatnot, you know, very flexible even within that. But yeah, I think I was looking more for more remote than not, you know, so if it was a hybrid position, probably more days at home than in the office. After when I taught for 13 and a half years, I actually commuted almost an hour one way for that whole time. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a lot of, you know, leaving the house at six in the morning and getting home after five and just having a little bit more time at home to enjoy being with my dog. And, you know, some of those benefits, being able to get up and walk in the morning or whatever before work, all those things that you don't really think about until you do start working from home. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the transition to working remotely, because you definitely talked about the pros right now. Have you found any cons or pain points with that transition? I think the biggest thing for me is just you don't realize how sedentary you are when you're working from home. You don't even think about, you know, it's not like I taught PE or something, but even just the movement that you get during the day, walking around and helping the kids and just walking from your room to the copy machine and all of that. And now, I sit in front of a computer in my home office all day. That's where I do my work. And so I've definitely had to be more conscious of building in time to get up and move around. I did invest in like a stand-up desk attachment so that I can, you know, stand up during meetings that, or if I'm working on something and just like setting reminders for myself to go refill my water, go take the dog outside for a couple of minutes, you know, that I can get sucked into working on something and pretty soon it's three hours and I haven't moved out of my chair. And so that was, I think, a big change is just the, it's so much more sedentary now and you don't really get that built-in movement during the day. Yeah. And it feels like, you know, the phrase like champagne problems. Yes. Like, oh, we got, we got what we wanted. We're now working at home, but it really does the like lifestyle creep Mm -hmm. kind of sneaks up on you. Mm -hmm. And I struggle with the exact same thing where I have one of those watches that like yells at me, like you haven't moved, (laughs) like move. Um, (laughs) When I used to feel like I was getting enough activity just on a day-to-day basis with my role. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about your productivity and time management? Is that something that you struggle with or you've always been really good at? I feel really good about it. I think a big change from going to teaching is from teaching, I should say, you know, when you're teaching, you might have, you know, a little bit of a prep period. if It doesn't get taken away for something during the day, but otherwise it's mostly done outside of work or you're trying to get everything done in like every little spare time moment that you have, you know? So, Mm -hmm. oh, I've got, you know, five minutes at the end of lunch. I'm going to try and grade these quizzes or whatever. And you feel like you're never, you can never really get ahead. And, you know, in my job now, I mean, you're paid to do work. Like you don't, they don't want you working outside of your contract hours or when you're getting paid. And I actually have time to do the tasks that I'm given to do. And so it, at first it was weird because I'm so used to like, I do a 
a good quality on everything, but I felt like I had to constantly be running from one thing to the next and I never had time to breathe. And here you definitely do. And so I was, you know, getting through all of my tasks very, very quickly, still doing a very good job on them. But just, I felt like I don't have to just sit here and not move all day because I can't leave for a few minutes because I have to get everything done so quickly. It was, is a definitely a mindset change between teaching where you kind of feel that way in, in a corporate job. Yeah. I've heard of people who struggle with like, I know I did all my work and I know I did it well. Am I not doing enough? Yes. How am I done already? Right. Or am I in trouble for being done already? Did you have a lot of feedback and handholding during the onboarding process or was that kind of a culture shift for you as well? I definitely had a, a very supportive team and boss and we are, you know, on teams all day. Like even though you're at home, you don't feel, I don't feel isolated from anyone. Like if I ever have a question, someone's always there ready to help. Um, it was kind of a mixture of things that like meetings and things that I, my teammates or my boss would go through with me and also going through some of the onboarding activities on my own at my own pace, um, which I found very helpful. So it's kind of a mixture of the two. What were some of your biggest like concerns or like fears going in to a corporate environment sure. and were they true? Definitely. I mean, it was scary to make the transition because teaching was all that I knew. I felt very secure in my job. I knew that I did a good job at my job and it, it was just always, I mean, ever since I, you know, I had part-time jobs and things in high school and college, but in terms of being an adult, it's the only job I ever had. And it was the only district I'd ever worked at. So it was the first time I really made this big change. And it was scary. Like, am I going to do a good job at this? <laughs> you know, am I going to be successful? Am I going to enjoy it? Is it going to be a good situation for me? And none of my fears came true. Like, it, <laughs> I love it. I love my team. I love what I do. I love where I work, you know, and it's definitely been probably one of the best decisions I've ever made for myself, honestly, was to make that, make that transition. Like, Kind of the way I looked at it is no decision has to be permanent, you know? So if you do go to a job outside of teaching and it's not for you, whether it's that company or the job itself, you can always either go back to teaching, you can go to a different company, you can pursue something else. Like the job doesn't have to be permanent. Yeah. So it sounds like you did have some of those common fears of like, what if this is worse? Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just the unknown. Do you feel like, because you're doing instructional design, but I know you have some elements of corporate training involved in your yes. position, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Do you feel like this is a better fit for someone who is an introvert? Definitely. So I don't lead the full training sessions. So I do train the trainers. So after I've built training curriculum for either a new product or a new process or made a large update to something training curriculum that we already had. Uh, and it's all remote. Uh, the people, the trainers are actually not even in the U.S. So it's definitely all just on the computer. I'll go through and train them on it. And then a lot of times we'll sit in on the actual training sessions, like the first one or two that they lead. Um, and then, then they do the rest after those first couple. So even though there is still some direct teaching or training going on, I would say for my job, at least, it's probably about 5% of what I do. I know that 
you know, there are training facilitators that that's their whole job. But for me, it's still, I would say most of the time, you know, if I'm not in meetings, most of the time that I'm working independently, it's just me working on building the curriculum myself. So it's a nice kind of mixture of interacting with people and definitely it's a team effort and collaborating with my coworkers, but still also having a lot of time where I can just really buckle down and work by myself, which I really enjoy. Yeah. Do you mind sharing a little bit of like, what does the team structure look like when it comes to subject matter experts, trainers, and you as the instructional designer, like who do you work with most often and who do you train usually? Yeah. So um, on our team, my, we have kind of like a, a smaller team that I'm on. We have training specialists, quality analysts, and then also knowledge specialists. Um, and as of late, I've actually been doing some knowledge management as well. Um, so that's been kind of cool. And that's one of the things that I, I love about kind of moving to a corporate job is you also get to try your hand at other things as well, you know, and add some other skills to your resume. And then I'm part of the, the larger team has business development consultants, like data analysts, support engineers. And so when I'm building training on a new product that we're going to support, my subject matter expert is typically the support engineer um, and the business development consultant who's working with that product. And then they sometimes will also have to go kind of to the next tier up to get information if like the questions that I have for them, they're not able to answer. And so I work with them very closely when I'm building training, but I also work with other knowledge and training specialists on my team. There are some times that if we have like a bigger project, we might collaborate and both work on something. So I also do work with them frequently as well. Working with an international team, Mm -hmm. are you translating something into different languages or is it all in English or are you using like a translation app or another specialist who is bilingual? Yeah, it's all. So everything I do is just in English, but we do like my company does have a translations department. And so there's a whole process for getting something sent through translations. But absolutely. Yeah. A lot of our products and websites are translated into several different languages. Yeah. I love how you talked about how you get to try Mm -hmm. like put your hand in other cookie jars kind of because that was something that I loved working in corporate environments too is being able to okay let me play on the marketing team sure I want to go over and see what sales does Mm -hmm. um and that helps me kind of shape and get clarity on what my next roles could be what interests Mm -hmm. me the most what I think I would be more skilled at are you looking at instructional design as a long-term career for you? Or are there other roles that you may want to grow into or transition into mm-hmm. over the course of a couple of years? For right now, I think in the short term, I'm enjoying being in training and in instructional design, but I'm definitely open to where my path might take me. Like if, one thing that I really love about like working at this corporate environment is they're so encouraging of go out and do informational interviews with people in the company that have other jobs that sound interesting to you and get to learn about those and kind of helping you like, Hey, what are your career goals? What do you want to do next? How can we help you get there? And I felt like in education, it was almost like, Oh, I don't want anyone to think that I'm possibly looking at leaving. Like, what are they going to think? And 
I feel like here it's just so welcomed, like, hey, we know that people are going to want to probably move on and move up and, and do other things. How can we help them get there? You know, how can we help them in their career journey? And they're so encouraging of that and of looking into other departments and meeting with people in other departments and kind of finding out about those other positions as well. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about, about how you're kind of, you're shamed about thinking about not being in the classroom. (laughs) Um, I mean, there's even this unspoken office versus classroom teacher. I can't think of the word, but the, when they're arguing or fighting with one another. (laughs) Rivalry. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like there's like this office versus classroom teacher rivalry that's kind of unspoken of like, oh, the people who left that now they're working for the district as instructional coaches. And I, in a good corporate environment Mm -hmm. with a good culture, that's not the case. I've seen, I've worked at corporate environments where they had the exact same thing where they watched Mm -hmm. someone come from sales, go into training. And they just said, that's where I'm more aligned. And ultimately what's best for the company is to keep people who are passionate about the company and be able to keep people who are interested. And it's just, (sighs) there's so much that are put, that's put on teachers shoulders Mm -hmm. of you just have to do this. Like this is what you have to do and you don't really have any other options because this is what we need. And we're desperate where it it just isn't the same amount of um, heaviness in other environments. Absolutely. The last thing I wanted to ask you about, because this is something that I feel like is kind of mixed with instructional design, is whether or not you feel like you are like an excellent graphic designer, (laughs) or if you just are coming in with like, you can make something look nice, but it doesn't have to be completely polished. Yeah, I think for me personally, you know, I'm not an expert graphic designer. I learned a lot during the upskilling process, learning about universal design and the best design practices. And I did a lot of LinkedIn learning on things like that and just did a lot of practice where I would make a job aid or I would make a training and then I would get feedback from people in the field on those kinds of decisions. One thing I love about my team is the team of of training specialists. Um, like our training supervisor will have like every quarter we do trainer upskilling. So like one of the things that we are learning about is some of those design principles. And so it's like, even those of us, you know, there's people on my team that have been working in the corporate training environment for years, but just always that kind of mindset of like, hey, we can all grow and we can all get better. So I think definitely like accessibility and readability and you know, considering the the end user is so important in instructional design and in training. I don't think that for most jobs, you have to be expert in graphic design on day one. I've definitely learned a lot since being on the job, just whether it's from those intentional like upskill sessions or just learning from my peers just very informally and seeing things that they've done and being like, oh, I should try that. That looks really nice, you know? So definitely I've grown a lot in that aspect since I started the job. Yeah. One of the biggest mistakes that I feel like happens with teachers very early in their trying to become instructional designers phase is they throw all of their classroom materials and call it a portfolio for instructional design. And I know that that feels intuitive, like this should translate because overall it mostly does. However, a hiring manager is going to look at 
kitty fonts, kitty clip art. And they're going to check out and say, you can't make something for grownups. If you haven't shown me that you can make a PowerPoint presentation that looks appropriate for grownups in a portfolio, I'm just going to check out from it. Right. Yeah. And and thinking about what is the business problem that I'm trying to solve? And I think that's another big thing in corporate is it kind of comes back to that. And what's our business case for doing this? And so that's also kind of a shift from teaching. Obviously, we have ways to measure success in teaching and giving lessons as we do in training, but just kind of the why. Mm -hmm. Because we have a gap doesn't always mean it's going to be training. Maybe this could just be a job aid. And I think that's one of the biggest things too. One of the best books I read in my upskilling was Designed for How People Learn by Julie Dirksen. I highly recommend it to anyone wanting to go into training, ID, honestly, even people teaching still. I kind of wish I read it as a teacher (laughs) because it kind of goes through the different, how to identify gaps and then how to build training to tackle those gaps. And that's been really kind of instrumental for me. Yeah, and like the biggest way that corporations work They're looking for what's the biggest return on investment. Mm -hmm. Yes. They don't want to set someone down for an entire hour for the sake of having a training. Right. They want you to be able to prove if X happens, this is how X is going to bring in money. Right. Like (laughs) this or make things more efficient, which means Mm -hmm. we're going to be able to do more and make more money. But it's not necessarily, hey, it would be cool if everyone knew this because it would help them, you know, know more. Mm -hmm. It has to be aligned (laughs) with ultimately doing things more efficiently or being able to do things that bring in more revenue. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's like the biggest thing for teachers Mm -hmm. because teachers have to train on basically everything Mm -hmm. of like, here's everything. And we're just supposed to hit every single bullet point (laughs) in this entire book. And we can't just say, oh, here's the greatest hits. We're going to skip two thirds of this. It's not necessary. I'd love to ask you my favorite question before we go, which is what did you learn about yourself in this process? Because it takes a lot of work and there's probably a lot of highs and lows And I feel like everybody learned something about themselves. So how did it affect you? I think I just learned that I'm braver than I thought I was, (laughs) that it was, you know, such a kind of scary thing and totally out of my comfort zone to change careers like this. And I felt like it was a big risk. And I, I was proud of myself that I did it. Like, the the hard work part of it, like, you know, I'm used to like, I went, did my master's while I was full-time teaching. Like, I'm not afraid of putting in hard work, but just taking that leap and I guess trusting that everything would work out okay. And if it didn't, I can try something else. I could go back to teaching, whatever. So I think that's the biggest thing is that I just feel more confident now in my abilities And just, I'm not as afraid to take other risks going forward in my career. I love that. And I feel like that's very common with people who take, like, this is like the biggest band-aid that you will rip off, like completely pivoting (laughs) careers, because the first time's going to be the hardest. And then after this, you know, you have this really valuable experience from this new company, and it's just going to be easier and easier, especially with your new found confidence. Yeah. Just... Thank you so much for sharing all of this with us and for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure to meet you and to hear your story. And I'm just so excited for you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor to be here. 
want to give a huge thank you to Jess for coming on the show and sharing all of this information with this audience. Now, if you are interested in a learning and development job, an instructional design or training position, we have so many past podcast episodes that you may want to go check out. So if you have not yet actually subscribed for this podcast, this is a really good reminder for you to subscribe so that you are reminded of new episodes when they launch and you're able to really quickly go back and find all of our great past episodes on careers you're interested in. You can find the podcast really easily at teachercareercoach.com forward slash listen, or just share that address with other teachers who are looking for this type of support. We'll see you on the very next episode. Mm -hmm.